Welcome, everyone. In today's episode, I'll be speaking with Brad Sherman, Agile coach for 11 plus years. He's been working with small, medium, large organizations, helping them go through their journey, trying to figure out that right process for them. So, Brad, welcome. How are you? Um, thank you, Jonathan, and hello, everybody. I'm doing very well. I hope everybody out there is staying safe and healthy these days. Yes, this pandemic is. Um, Something that really has changed a lot of the way that businesses have been handling and just doing their normal things. Have you come across any organizations that have been trying to figure out their new process to deal with this? Oh, well, absolutely. I I guess I have a sort of a narrow aperture of what I've heard about or seen. My firsthand experience was the client I was engaged with. Um, I guess it was around the middle of March, as a lot of people did. They sent everybody home. And so for about three weeks, everybody was working from their home, including myself, working with teams that I was at that time coaching. And I think I've also heard the same thing from other people I've that I know that I've heard from in the past few weeks is that they've been all sent home and are everybody's working remotely. In fact, I'm thinking through it. I don't think anybody I know who's working in the IT technology space, especially. I should say, especially only because those are the people I know these days, especially working through agile sorts of journeys and practices. I don't know of any of them that are in the office these days. They're all working from home. It's pretty different. I imagine same for you as well, Jonathan, what you've seen. Yes. A lot of people in the Southeast region has been experiencing the same thing. Many people have been forced to work remotely. And, you know, some of the difficulties is that these companies, they weren't prepared for it. And trying to get an infrastructure to handle it, handle their people working remotely has been very difficult at times. So as you've been talking to some of these people that have been uh, having to go through this new change, what has been some of the difficulties that they've been experiencing? Uh, you know, I think the biggest difficulties has been for the teams that I've worked with that are getting ready to do larger planning events, like namely PI planning for teams that are using SAFE. The people and the teams I've been working with, they've been together a long time where they were all co-located for the most part. And so the relationships have been built. And when they went back to their homes and were doing things like sprint planning and retrospectives, they weren't that disrupted because they didn't have to adopt a whole lot of additional tools or ways of operating. And they already had a lot of relationships built. And so the fact that they had each other's faces only over a camera to see. My firsthand experience and what I heard from them was it didn't really impact them. But the bigger impact I'm seeing with a few teams is when they try to do things like PI planning. And I know there's some teams that I'm not working with anymore, but that are getting ready to do that in the coming weeks. And they're really trying to figure out how to use different tools and how to use rooms of tools and be able to float between rooms of tools and tap each other on the shoulder in addition to being in rooms. I think that's quite new for everybody I'm talking to these days. Yes, I think that's probably one of the great features from Zoom, having those breakout rooms to be able to uh, separate groups of people. And you being a safe SPC, I'm sure having people work remotely during those PI plannings is kind of a challenge, I would assume. Yeah, absolutely. I think 
It really is. And, and I, I've heard only anecdotally from other people that the challenge they've had has really been around being able to walk across the larger room to talk to each other spontaneously. Like you said, uh, Zoom and other tools allow them to have rooms that they can move between as an individual, but they don't overhear other rooms out of the corner of their ear. And they can't look across the room and see where somebody is and go walk over and talk to them. They have to kind of guess which room they're in. And it's that spontaneous ad hoc conversation is what I'm hearing anecdotally is the biggest impact. And as a result, it's, I think they're just getting a little bit less efficient planning done across teams. The things I'm hearing is that they're still getting the same outcomes by the end of PI planning because they have gone through it before together and they know what they should expect to be able to accomplish and how to accomplish it. So the, the outcome of what they expect to accomplish is unchanged. It's just getting there is taking them a little more time and isn't quite as efficient as it was when they were all in the big room together. That goes back to one of the principles of Agile is the best form of communication is having a face-to-face conversation and having this transition where people are doing remotely, like you said, accidentally hearing of other people have conversations, it gets lost and you have to force that communication a little bit more, I would assume. Yeah, you know, and it's, yeah, to your point, you can force it, I think, for the push so if, I, if I'm in a team and I know I've got something that I want another team to hear, somebody on my team can go join them and tell them what they, we think they need to hear. But the pull aspect of it, like you just said, I have no way of overhearing other people. And unless they make an effort to push that communication to teams they think who might want to hear it, a lot of that is just not going to be overheard. And I think what will happen is in the coming weeks and sprints, if you will, they will all find out what it is that they didn't overhear because, you know, some team will realize, oh, yeah, we were talking about that. We forgot to let you know. Or another team will run into something that they have to work through. And only when they reach out to somebody will that team realize, oh, wait, that's right. We had that conversation already. So I think it'll just be, you know, they'll find out in the coming weeks, but they won't have found out through simply overhearing people across the room. Yeah. So that, that's just going to be one of those growing pains of learning. Well, working remotely was great, but these are some of the things that we missed out on. Absolutely. And I, I think, like you said, the, that um, Agile Manifesto principle, face-to-face communication, is the one that they're, I, I, see, I think they're all being reminded how powerful it is to have that and how they're missing out a little bit from not having it. And we'll, I guess we'll all find out in the coming weeks and months knock on wood how soon it can be that people start to come back to offices if people continue to rely on remote participation and communication that they've grown accustomed to or if they'll just be very relieved and want to jump right back into face-to-face as quickly as they can i think everybody this case everybody's in that case i should say everybody's different people's personalities might influence whether they want to return to old patterns or or try to adhere to the remote things that they had been doing most recently. It's, it's one of those things, like you said, it's what it will be our new norm after things get back to a certain pace. I do know that some of the colleagues that I've been working with 
they have not had any antibodies for the COVID-19. So they're concerned with their new experiences working with people who have had it, you know, with that, you know, reintroduce the whole pandemic again and trying to figure out, well, how do we, how do we retain that discipline of what we learn in Agile, that communication, those practices, and still be able to work remotely with this new situation? Have you come across teams that started to kind of fall back into that waterfall process? I have not, but that does raise a question for me that I also haven't heard about. I'm curious what you've heard about. Speaking of waterfall process, one of the things I see teams as part of their journey doing is moving out of the command and control way of operating. And particularly for teams I've worked with that are early in that journey, unfortunately, their leadership and managers still have the habits of walking over to individuals and tapping them on the shoulder and saying, hey, I need you to do something for me. Or disrupting the team's stand up by saying, okay, it's great what you guys are doing, but I need all of you to work on something else for me right now. I'm wondering if that's been reduced because those managers and leaders also don't have the luxury of being able to just walk Mm -hmm. over and talk to people ad hoc. So not really a return per se to waterfall necessarily, but I don't know, Jonathan, have you heard from anybody about whether they're getting interrupted less by people outside their team now that they're all remote? So that's interesting. Yes. People have, developers have been having more time to focus. And I I never really thought about that until you just, until we kind of dabbled down this path. But the leadership they don't have that direct connection. You know, they may still send emails from time to time, um, but I think that they're more relaxed at this point, knowing that, hey, this is something that we've never experienced before. We're still working, but we're going to give our intentions to people and hope that they take that ownership and accountability and follow through without us having to be behind them. And say, hey, are you done this? Yeah, this is that's a great point because I I'm hoping that having given them those intentions and not feeling like they have to micromanage them to get them done, if over these times of everybody being remote, if those leaders see that those things get done without them having to hover over it, right. maybe it actually will result in a greater, I guess, maturity of that organization. There's more yeah. trust maybe now from leadership that people get things done. If you just set a target for them, that will be really interesting to see when people come back. I think it's also a combination of making sure you're having tools that maybe they can use to monitor it so that they can let people be. What do you, when you say tools for monitoring, what are you thinking of? Um, well, either Jira or any other type of um, dashboard like Riley or version one, but something that says, Okay, I'm not just going, I, I don't have to just go off a developer's word, but I'm seeing the workflow process. I'm seeing stories get moved and code being developed and, and um, put on a particular server. Yeah, that will be interesting to see if leaders start to look more at day-to-day real-time tool information as well as outcomes from the end of sprints and things like that in terms of what they're asking teams to get done. That'll be interesting to see. It will be. And because one of the things that's going to be very key is that 
These are principles that we can't force upon leaders or management to start doing. Coming from a background of where command and control was so prevalent, they wanted their hands into everything. They wanted reports left and right. And it wasn't until when management got to a point that they said, hey, look, we completely trust you at this point that they start backing off and then just viewing the monitoring tools. So for teams and organizations that are, have been thrown into this cold COVID situation and now have to work remotely, it will be really interesting on what encourage managers or leader, um, leadership and organizations to start using these tools. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it will be interesting to see that I'm thinking both leaders and people outside the team using the tools. I also wonder if it'll change how well the teams themselves use the tools. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes I see teams get a little bit behind in terms of using their tools, which on the one hand is okay because them getting the work done and understanding where each other is is probably more important than day-to-day -day keeping the tool updated. But I, I wonder if everybody being remote and managers and other people outside the team expecting information from the tool will cause teams to use tools differently as well. For that matter, I'm, you know, you may mention earlier that developers seem like they're getting more time to work on things. Right. Above, above and beyond tools, I wonder if teams will find that they just get more stuff done. There are aspects of, hey, do we need a pair program on this? Do we need to work together? So are people getting the work done on complex issues? Is, that, is there a discussion that is happening between multiple developers to come up to a solution? Or are people hiding behind the fact of, hey, I'm not in the office, so no one knows that I'm having difficulties completing this? Yeah, or I just would just as soon work on it by myself, and so I will work on more things by myself. Have you heard any thing from people you're working with, people in teams about whether they're doing pair programming or any sort of pair work and how, what sort of tools they use for that? So some of the teams that I'm working with now, they don't care too much for pair programming. Very strong developers who want to be in front of the keyboard. They want to be able to get their thoughts out and having to work with someone else and to kind of mind meld their ideas together slows down the process for them. And they don't really see the benefit of sharing those ideas. I have not come across any developers that have been using any tools to work or pair program for really complex stories during like refinement. They'll break out into either using Microsoft Teams or using Zooms and having a discussion to plan a strategy to do the work, but nothing like working together, actually doing the development. Mm -hmm. Okay. What, what about uh, sort of changing subjects a little bit? Have you heard anything from teams you're working with about people attending their sprint reviews, whether that's from outside the team, whether that's happening more or less these days now that everybody's remote? So interesting. Um, that's happening more. They're getting more stakeholders involved because it's, Hey, you can open up this link and, you know, peep in and watch something being displayed and then leave when you feel like you had enough. Where I think when people are actually 
in physical meetings. Getting up at the middle of it after you got what you need from it is kind of a no-no or kind of discouraged. So I think it gives stakeholders a little bit more flexibility of um, getting enough information that they want to or be able to share the right information that they want to give. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of bad. If people are all in the room together and somebody doesn't want to get up and walk away because it's not polite or socially accepted or what have you, instead they'll just multitask on their phone or on their laptop. Exactly. <laughs> so you're probably getting the right uh, amount of focus and then not really being too concerned with as much of the distractions of people working on their laptops. Although from time to time you will hear a kid or a dog barking in the background. (laughs) So (laughs) you know that there's still some type of distraction going on, but it's not too um, prevalent. Yeah. Have you um, sort of related to uh, developers having more dedicated time, less interruptions and maybe teams getting fewer interruptions during the sprint from leaders or managers. Have you heard anything about whether teams have been better able to reduce technical debt because just they have more ability to handle things as a team versus always being interrupted? Interesting that you bring that up. It's been a combination of both. On some aspects, when teams are working with maybe creating a new UI design, there's been some changes in the UI that hasn't been communicated in a timely fashion. So developers will be always working on the old screenshot of what was being done. So that kind of causes some technical debt. New, either new stories have to be created to uh, make those changes um, after it's been reviewed. It's like, oh, well, we didn't know that there was a new screenshot. We didn't know that there was new work because when we estimated the work, this is what the picture looked like. Mm -hmm. This was the functionality that was requested. So what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of more changes from the UI and creativity from the product owner, but it's not being communicated properly and fast enough to the developers before they actually start working. In some aspects, yes, it's been causing technical debt, In other aspects, they've been really trying to properly document the acceptance criteria so that it's clear on day one. So as far as functionalities, I don't really see too much technical debt from that side. And it sounds like the teams have talked about late arriving UI changes and how it's affected work they've done. And And so did I hear you that those teams are going to use acceptance criteria, I guess, more detailed UI acceptance criteria before the work gets started as a way to address that? So a combination of both. They're using the statuses in Jira. Once something gets groomed, anything additional changes to it automatically becomes a new story. They'll have conversations with the developers to see if the change is drastic If it's more so of, instead we want the controls on the bottom right of the screen, we want it on the top left. That might be not as trivial and they can probably make that change easily. But if if the whole color scheme of the module changes completely and there's different 
uh, parameters that affect that color scheme, then what they'll do is they'll say, hey, we won't be able to get that in. So we can either create the base functionality from a story that was there and create a new enhancement later, or we'll just completely take the story out since it's not relevant anymore with the new changes. Yeah. And that's really been causing the product owner and the UI personnel to communicate more effectively and, and try to have smaller stories as well as more concise decision-making on what that work would look like before it gets to the refinement session. Yeah. On that, on that last point, um, decision-making, since I assume those are UI folks that are in a sort of, if you will, a shared services team, they're outside of the scrum team. Have they been figuring out with their POs how to do those decisions differently? Have they, have they started to come up with a way to do those decisions better so that they don't disrupt the teams as much? I don't think that I would call it better as of yet. It's more so of the decision-making still occur the way that they're occurring. Yeah. Uh, they're trying to communicate uh, more effectively to the teams of those changes. Okay. So what, what I'm seeing is that I would call it debt that's still being incurred mm -hmm. because that decision-making wasn't correct in the first place. Right, right. Um, but again, you know, Agile is an empirical process and, you know, you want to be able to develop um, in increments at a time. So I don't, I'm not sure I would fault the process that they have in place yet. Oh, yeah. No, by no means would I think of faulting the process because you're right. It is iterative in nature, this UI work. I, I worked once with um, some teams that included a separate UI, sort of a shared services team. And they were running to challenges where the a design would be handed over to the scrum teams and they would start to build it. And to your point, sometimes it's, it's empirical. We built it, we get feedback from it and we want to do it differently. That's okay. That's part of being agile. Other times they would build it. And in the middle of building it, the UI team was changing the design unbeknownst to anybody that this work was already ongoing. And I think what they started doing is they, for one, the UI team, the shared services team, um, stood up a Kanban board on a wall that everybody could see. And they talked about what screen they were working on and at what level of evolution it was, whether they were, you know, first coming up with a device, a design for it, um, formalizing the design for it, or they were getting feedback on that formalized design for it. And so for one, all the teams had a chance to go see what screens were coming up in the near future because there was a, you know, sort of a backlog work that was coming up in that Kanban board as well. So they knew it was coming up pretty soon. And then also it started to open up the eyes of the UI team that it would be worthwhile for them to go look at other teams' boards to say, oh, hey, that design we finished a while ago, where is it on your board? Have you started yes. working on it yet? Are you not yet? It was really good for them to start to build that because naturally, like you said, it's, there's an iterative nature of especially UI. We want to learn from what we build and then build it better but they they also were tripping over each other a little bit too much. They had to come up with some way of being more open in terms of where each other were. That's really interesting that you brought that up because I'm running into a lot of teams that want to handle everything by doing Scrum. 
And there's just some logical work. Even if it has a little complexity to it, UI design development kind of fits better in a Kanban process than in a Scrum process because you you don't know what you you want. You just know that, hey, at, at some point, you have to create this design. And when it's ready, it's ready. But to say, hey, we're going to do this in two weeks, it's sometimes it's just hard to do that UI design in a, in a Scrum process. Yeah, I, the, I hear what you're saying, and I, I agree. And I, I think there's both sides of this fence. I, I think about it, I guess, as you were saying that, I was thinking about it in terms of this client I'd worked with and their um, customer journey. So they were just barely starting to be able to articulate because they were going through a digital transformation. They were barely starting to articulate what their customer journeys were. And so they would start to build these screens, which were, you know, embodying the interaction the customers would have while going on their journey. And because the journeys were hardly at all defined, they would build a few screens into it and realize, oh, wait, no, that's not right. We need to do this instead. And so they didn't have that horizon um, strategy of where they wanted customers to go and thereby being able to do a plan of a longer series of screens that they could build. Then again, on the other hand, there might be some people, some teams for whom their customer journey, it's very well established. It's very well understood right. and they have got, they know the screens and the interactions they need their customers to go through. And it might be easier for them to plan out multiple sprints worth of screens right. and multiple sprints worth of outcomes and interactions they want to do. So maybe that's the thing that's, that's different for different teams is, you know, what that confidence of their horizon is where they do Scrum or Kanban or something else. Yeah, I definitely agree. Teams have to look at not only their customers, but their process that works for them and determining, hey, if this is something that we, we know, or we feel very confident what that journey is for our client customers, then let's go ahead and do it in this framework. Or if not, well, well we can use this framework. Don't automatically assume that if we're going to do Agile, then it needs to be Scrum. I think some teams get themselves locked into that bottleneck because they're forcing a process that doesn't work for them, doesn't work for the way that they are trying to develop their solutions or product. Yeah, no, you're right. You know, I, I think if, if we've got leadership and the product organization saying, this is what I want you to build over the next three months, and this is where we need to be three months from now, well, Scrum is probably a, a pretty good framework for that. But if they say, well, we have no idea what we need to be doing three days from now, <laughs> then trying to fit that into Scrum just doesn't work. It's a lot of waste. Right. Yeah, yeah. So is this really just having that, having that coach, I think, is another important aspect um, that they, some organizations don't realize that will really help them. A person who's kind of on the outside that knows, okay, this is how we really make our steps towards these principles. Um, and this is, this is the benefit these principles will bring to the culture and to the um, organization as you're trying to develop this product. But usually when you have people who 
have no idea of the essence of those principles and the reasons why those values exist. There's a lot of, you know, fake agile or fake scrum that, that comes into play. And it, it's, it's a rough journey for those experiences. Yeah. I mean, old habits die hard. A lot of these teams we're working with have been doing some sort of software work for many years. You got a lot of habits and patterns that are hard to break. And there's, there's sometimes culture that makes it difficult to break habits and patterns. But you're, you're right. I think it is them better recognizing the principles and being reminded of the principles and the values that is necessary somehow for them to get through that journey of where they have been to, to operating in a different way. Well, Brad, I definitely like to thank you for taking the time to join us. Always a pleasure interacting with you and hearing from your point of view of things. Yeah, likewise, Jonathan. I always enjoy talking with you and working with you previously and look forward to talking with you in the future. Thank you and thanks to everybody. Thanks for listening to An Agile Mindset. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the show and leave a rating or review. We love your feedback. To hear more episodes of An Agile Mindset, visit Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Spotify, or SoundCloud, or head to perimeterdesigns.com slash podcast.